Turn with me, if you would please, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 21. Only 22 chapters in the book of the Revelation. We're going to start here today. And I want to talk to you about He is making all things new. Now, as we turn to Revelation chapter 21, and this is January the 2nd in the year 2022. So again, there's probably not too many preachers that are not talking about a new year and let's do this and how bad 2021 was. Okay, it is what it is, but it's over now. And so we're going to hope. You know, people say, I just hope the next year is better. Well, if it's biblical hope, fine. But if it's just like a loose wish, forget about it. It could actually be worse. We want to be able to really see God do what is not new to him, but will be new to us and see God really put a blessing on his people. In Revelation chapter 21, let's begin at the very first verse. The Apostle John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And it wouldn't hurt us to read verse 8. This has always amazed me what's at the top of this list. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Just quickly, just to accent what has always astonished me when I first read it many, many decades ago, and it still does, that at the top of the list we would expect maybe serial killers or something more dramatic than the simplicity of this word fearful. So let me start with that. As you have heard me state over the years, and this is advice I give on my daily channel, The Oasis, you can downsize all of your fears to just one, the fear of the Lord. Wherever it's written, Psalms and Proverbs, it's talked about in a positive way. The fear of the Lord is awe and his reverence, giving him awe and giving him reverence. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not an anxiety. That's what you get when you don't have the fear of the Lord. What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen... Let me tell you something, and this is the theme of this message. What's going to happen to the economy? Nothing. Nothing bad for you. If God could take the prophet Elijah and tell him, go down by the river Kibbeth, and I'll feed you there during a time of intense famine and of thirst, and has his birds bring him his meals for a time, then he went to the widow's house. He has a provision for his people. So concerning you, what's going to happen with the economy is nothing. 
Because God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry. The fearful and the unbelieving. We don't want to be found on that list. You don't want to be found on the list that causes you to sort of not really want to be identified too much with Christ. You know, you don't want people to think you're a fanatic. I'm not advocating fanaticism. I'm just simply saying that whatever people think, they think. And that has never troubled me what people think about me. Well, that's just something I've actually done wrong, then I go to make my wrong right. But other than that, whatever they think is immaterial, and I am supernaturally indifferent, and I suggest that you would be the same. Now is the time to be all in. Are you all in? Are you all in? I'm all in. I'm not going to finish poorly. I started well. My intention, and this is my prayer before God, many I have, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I want to finish better than I started, and I started pretty good. I'm not trimming my sails at this point. I'm seeing how much more can I give? How much more can I do? How much more can I love God with my intellect? Reading, memorizing, and so on. Memorization of scriptures or whatever it may be. How much more can I love him with my soul? How much more can I love him with my heart? If it's the simplicity as playing on the drums or playing my guitar or singing, whatever it is, can I give another few steps? Can I go a little bit more? And I suggest that you do the same. If you failed last year, then you know, it's going to be easy to take a step or two forward. And if you've succeeded, you say, I've met my goals. I actually went a little bit beyond. Okay, good. Now take two more steps forward. Or three more steps forward. That's what we want. Forward progress, not excuses. So, I want you to look with me at verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I want you to look at the word make. It's a present tense verb. So the title of my message is, He is making. That's how we express present tense in English. We add ing on the word, ing. I am taking, I am preaching. After I leave here, I will say to someone, I preached, ed, I preached. It's past tense. Right now I am preaching. Behold, I am making all things new. But there's two considerations here. First is the context of what is happening prior to this in the year or years known as the Great Tribulation, which is what the book of Revelation is all about, seven-year period. And it's in that context, and what we read before, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, which is yet future, God is speaking, I am making all things new. The second application is the fact that from the beginning of humanity, God has been making all things new. I want to say to you right now, so you know where I'm headed with this message. My intent, and I hope that this is what you can grasp, is that you would begin to look at the day you live in today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life, bypassing the evil and seeing that this is going to come to a very good conclusion. Now, what I mean by bypassing is not being ignorant of it. I'm not saying be passive about it. I'm just simply saying that if you listen to, including Bible preachers, I mean, you know, preachers that talk about eschatology, it's always this concentration. It's a seven-year period. Definitely the worst period in human history, but it's seven years. At the end, and then before that, we have eternity. And I am saying to you, without equivocation and without mitigation, this is what we need to be concentrating on. It's coming to good. It's coming to good. <laughs> and we know that all things work together for what? The good of them that love God. 
And to those who are the called according to his purpose. There's a little bit more to that, as you know. We've covered it before, but let's just stay with that for a minute. And we know that all things work together for the good. Okay, for those of you who did not vote for this current president, you say, it's not good. But that's not what the book says. It's not what the book says. The book says he makes all things work together for the good of them that love God, the people of the kingdom. He makes all things work together for the good of his people. So this, you know, this is the new year, it's 2022. It's time to have a new mindset. It's time to get rid of the, you know, uh, oh, difficult days. They are difficult days. They are very stressful, no doubt. But the way I keep encouraging myself is this, this won't last. This is not going to last. You remember the poem? It's a longer poem, but I'll give you just a part of it. And it's a very good saying. It goes this way. Once in Persia reigned a king who upon his signet ring raised a maxim true and wise. And if it held before the eyes, gave him counsel at a glance. Solemn words, these are they, even this shall pass away. Or the slave in the back of the chariot after a Roman general conquered, won a great victory in battle, stating to the general, it's not precisely known exactly what they stated, but here's one idea about it. Remember that all glory is fleeting. It all passes away. Your troubles are going to pass away. Your pain and your sickness and disease, we just read it, it's going to pass away. And here's the really great news. If that wasn't great enough, here's equally good news, that we can have it pass away while we're still alive. Can you believe, Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? That's a question. It's not talking about eternity because Martha in John chapter 11, when Jesus proposed the question, he says, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, I know, like, you know, at the end over here where we're talking about the resurrection of the just, yeah, I know that. I know that. He says, no, no, no. I'm the resurrection. I'm talking about today. Lazarus is going to rise up today. That's the good news. It's not like we're just sitting around waiting for good things to happen. God is already doing good things if, number one, you look for them, and number two, you believe them. But let me tell you something. In the book of Jonah, it says, those that believe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. We all want good things, but the condition is that we must believe, and we must believe without wavering. There is no one here, no one watching by the live stream, no one listening by way of radio that doesn't have bad things come to them. Thoughts in the mind, thoughts that bring fear. No one is exempt from that. I'm not exempt from that. I would submit that I get more than you get. I just won't submit to it. It doesn't matter if time of night or day I get it. I just won't submit to it. And you shouldn't either. Don't entertain that which contradicts God's word. Hmm. You say, oh, I want good things. Well, you have to, the caveat is you have to believe Christ. Peter is sinking after walking on the water, and the first question that Jesus asks him is, why did you doubt? It's a good question. Well, for me, I wouldn't have been on the boat in the first place. <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm telling you now, I wouldn't. Love you, Jesus. I'm staying right here. But I'm a miracle. I don't care who you are. I'm not going. I get seasick. My faith is not that strong. But Peter walked on water, but then when he said, hey, I'm walking on water, boom, he went down. And you see, there's, if I can use it this way, there's a connection here. When he believed Christ, he did the impossible. As soon as he disbelieved, he sunk. How about you? What kind of mood are you in today? What are you facing? I mean, I know most of all your stories. I know what you're facing. Uh, Well, you know, uh, please stop. Just stop. Stop. I mean, stop. Do we have Christ or do we not have Christ? We have Christ. We have Christ. And he has promised to answer prayer. 
But again, the condition is believing prayer, not just, oh, Lord, you know, all that type of stuff. And you don't have to put on a voice. Just use your regular voice because God understands it. And believe what God has said because he is making all things new. So what I'm trying to say, what I want to get across today, just really one thing. Begin to elevate your thinking beyond the times that we live in, beyond what we see coming, beyond the obvious, what's with us now. And realize that it's all working together for good. I sat down to watch one of the college football games uh, last night. I didn't get very far because a commercial came on. And the commercial showed at first this very thin young man sitting in a chair talking about how he loves his own space. And I was okay with that until his husband or wife came in, who's another thin man, and they announced a dating site where they met. That was it. I was done. I'm just all done. There's a couple of words going through my mind right now about football, but I can't use them, so I'm all done. I'm all done with the football, entertain myself some other way. I'm not going to submit to this. I mean, I've been married, my wife and I have been married for 44 years, and we've been together for 46 years, but <laughs> I'm not going to make a commercial of me making out with her. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see me without my shirt on. And I don't want to see you without your clothes on. And so I said, this is my own little way of I protest. And I'm watching this. I don't care who's playing. I'm watching it. Other people do what they want, but that's me. But you see, I also know that this is the world we live in. It is what it is. We will affect it, but only so much. I'm talking to you today about the coming kingdom of God. In which, as we just read, there will be no unrighteousness. That wasn't there, but there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. And of course, the critics and the intelligentsia and the academia, they say, you know, pie in the sky. Yeah, pie in the sky. And the same guys that are looking in the sky are saying, we were created in a laboratory by aliens. <laughs> I brought you that before a few weeks ago. Tenured professors, yeah. greatest minds in the world saying, we were created by aliens. They brought us right back to creation, except they didn't name God. So forget about all this, who makes fun of who. We have great evidence, and we have mounting evidence through archaeology and other things, that God actually wrote the Bible. Did you notice here that he says, these things are faithful and true? Look at verse 5. Right, for these words are true. Where are we headed? As believers in Christ, to something unbelievably good. And that's what you need to begin to look at. Get out of the gutter of being brought down by people who want to, you know, just... It's like the town gossip... We've all had gossips in our midst, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, uh, in our churches. And all they do is stir up trouble. The main trouble is not with the people putting the message out, but those who are delivering it to us, namely the media. I already knew what I was getting in for when I clicked on this thing last night, but I was doing some study. And it was sad piano music. And then in the parenthesis, this will make you cry. It didn't make me cry. I already knew what the music would be all about, but it was soothing while I was reading. But you see, that's what people click on. Something that is appealing to the emotions. This will make you cry. So they, they put it on so they can cry. I had a dog, the thumbnail was a dog sitting in the rain. Like, who would do that to a dog? And this will make you cry. Somebody had a comment on there that said, the picture was sadder than the music. Music was actually pretty good. It was very soothing, very calming. But see, that's what people want. And, and I'm going to say this to you. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians want. And I have found out a long time ago that too much emotion in preaching obfuscates the intellect. People say, wow, that was great. Oh, he was so excited. 
And there's nothing wrong with being appropriately emotional. Music, singing, preaching, teaching, whatever. Talking about whatever you talk about. But too much of it obfuscates the intellect and you, you don't realize what's being said. We must read and realize what's being said. These words are true. I am making all things new. So what I'm saying is that in this message here, I'm hoping to elevate your thinking at the beginning of this year. So you talk less about, I'm not saying don't talk about it all, and I'm not talking about passivity or fatalism or even determinism. I'm talking about elevating your thinking, which will affect your mood and to get you to see a short period of seven years when the tribulation begins. And what we are moving into right now is certainly evil. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. What is evil? But I'm saying to you, elevate your thinking and remember that it's all working together for good and will culminate in this here, the coming kingdom of God. If you will take that to heart today, well, you're going to be reading the Bible because your heart is going to be with God first. You're going to say, wow, I want to see what God had to say about it. I'm in Genesis. And, uh, you know, and then I, I can't wait to get to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, you know, get to the end of the book and, and on and on. Because your understanding now has been elevated to, wow, this is actually working for good. Yeah. So let me talk to you about evil. In theology and philosophically, it has been stated, and I believe correctly, that evil is insubstantial. Meaning, it only exists... Not that it's not real, evil is real. It only exists by default in the absence of good. Night is real, but it exists by default by the absence of light. We turn the lights on here, there's no darkness. The sun shines, there is no darkness. Night is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good. So theologically and philosophically, it's taught to think of evil as being insubstantial. Not that it doesn't exist. We know it exists. But it exists only because the default was there is no good. So we're actually explaining evil in the negative. Night exists because there is no light, at least temporarily. Cold exists because there is no heat, even if it's temporary. Evil is the product of the lack of good. And Thomas Aquinas wrote about evil, as he wrote about many things theologically and philosophically. And he said this, that God does not create evil. We read that in the book here. James, it says, he cannot be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt anybody to do evil. Neither does he will it to be evil. Neither does he approve of it necessarily, but he permits it so that good may come out of it. Now, this is getting deep, so we won't go much deeper than that. If you're interested in it, read up on it for yourself. But the main thing that I want you to understand is that evil exists because there is no good. Whether it's in a certain location, whether it's in your marriage, why are we having problems? Simply stated, because there is no more love. And so you have coldness, you have indifference, you have arguments, whatever. There's no more love. There's no more willingness to cooperate. Why do we have sickness? It's the absence of health. And you can keep on going. But since God exists, and since we know that God is good, then we know that evil can only prevail for a time. Now we will say 6,000 years. But that's still, we're trapped in time. And we haven't lived for 6,000 years. We've only lived for, I mean, it's not even a slice of that. Your whole life. There's barely a slice of 6,000 years of human history. Barely a slice. Something else. We will have a tendency to remember pain and difficulties and hard times more so than we do the good times. 
And sometimes you will judge your entire life by a few incidents that have happened in your life, and it's happened to all of us, and say, oh, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have had no luck at all. But you miscounted. You forgot all the goodness that God has shown you and miscalculated the fact that God is working good in your life right now, right now. If I, your pastor, come to say, now you read the Bible this year, and you don't, now here's something, this is getting a little deep. Is that much evil? I say, what? Are you saying that I am promoting evil if I don't read the Bible? You see, because we have a tendency to think of evil in the worst possible terms. Hitler was evil, and it's always in the extreme. Let me share with you an evil, that, and I can't mention the person's name, but you just write it down, please, to pray for this family. Just a few days ago, three, four the most, I think, I learned of a good friend of mine, a close friend of mine. He has some brothers and sisters, and his brother's daughter, in other words, my friend's niece, eight months pregnant, and her husband were both beaten to death by an enraged, I think it was the brother-in-law. I contacted my friend, and we have a little exchange, and said, I will be praying. If you need something, call me and all of this. Okay. There's no way that we could say that this is good. It's evil. It's one of the worst forms of evil. Eight-month pregnant, young woman, and her husband, both beaten to death. And we see this, and this is what causes intelligent people to ask questions. Intelligent people. Don't make fun of people because they're asking about how could a good God do all this. That's intelligent. And there are answers. But let's say, let's change that scenario. And uh, there were many, uh, actually my daughter's one, who's just precisely the same amount of time pregnant. And we went over to the house, other people went over to the house, and they brought gifts and presents at Christmas time, right? And then my grandson, we had a birthday party, and we brought gifts and presents and cake and singing, and it was good. What is the difference between one scenario and the other? One had a complete absence of anything that was good. And therefore, evil exists today by default, by the absence of good. Now, let me get back to your Bible reading and your prayer life and your unwillingness to talk about Jesus openly. When you do that, you're actually, to a small degree, now, see, this is the, I'm not talking about that tragedy. That's a huge evil. But on a scale, it goes like this. And we don't often accent that. That lack of obedience to God is evil. It's simple. And if we would take that attitude in a more um, sincere way and say, wow, I am actually promoting evil. I just told you, we as patriots, we love our country. <clears throat> By the way, uh, don't, don't misjudge the people around the world. They equally love their country too. Okay? Just to be fair and truthful. But you say, I, you know, and you talk all day long about Washington, D.C. A, you forgot that God's working all things together for the good. Because right from the beginning, before he created Adam and he created Eve, he had a plan. He knew who would fail. He would, knew who would believe and so on and so forth. And from a day that it all began, he had a plan. And he's still working that plan out right now. If you keep concentrating on the evil, you will fail to do good. You know, it's like I say to you, it's easy to be sick. It's, it's difficult to believe God for healing. Evil is by default when you're not doing good in some form, though it may be just that much. We are contributing. To, if I don't show up at the pulpit today, not because I'm, you know, I'm out of commission, I'm sick or whatever. I just say, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, I'm going to go up to the woods to be alone with God. You know. So you get nothing because I don't preach. I mean, we have some good preachers that back me up. But I mean, so you don't get anything from me. So I have failed to do any good. And I should have been at my post. That's my duty. I'm required to be here. Not just because I get paid. 
I'm required to be here because that's my call in my life. But I decided I'm going to be a malingerer for a day and I'm not going to do anything good for you. So I'm going to just take care of myself. To that degree, to that degree, I was a participant in the evil that's in this world today. That's in our country. My conviction is absolutely without any qualification. What's going to save America, if there's still, you know, that's a possibility, I believe it is. It's going to be preaching the word of God. Not how to be a great success. You can get that from Grant Cardone. Look him up if you don't know who he is and see if you like your presentation. I didn't, but that's his business, not mine. What's going to change America is not how to become a billionaire. It's going to be how to please God, how to live and please God. Therefore, we are now producing good, and therefore the evil cannot exist. I told you about a friend of mine. He says, you know, when Pastor Ray walks in the gym, he walks like he owns the place. And I do. I actually act like I own the place. But my belief is that I will dominate the ground I'm standing on. And then when I'm over here, I'm no longer on that ground, but I'm going to dominate this ground. As God said to Joshua, that every place where your feet go will become holy ground. Do you believe that? Oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah. You better believe it because our country depends upon it. And maybe in the end, so does your life. Because if evil, if there's an absence of, continued absence of good all the way around in our country, that means evil will continue to multiply. Yeah. The darkness will get deeper and deeper and deeper. And again, and you say, are you trying to provoke me? Absolutely, I'm trying to provoke you. This is no question. Don't leave here without, he tried to provoke me today. I am definitely trying to provoke you by telling you that if we don't do good, evil has to prevail by default. If we don't do what we're supposed to do by calling and duty, then evil's going to prevail. That's the end of the story. We got the government we deserved. The church defaulted a long time ago. We can't be held responsible for all of that. But the church defaulted a long, long time ago. Now there's no retaining wall. And what? And again, I'm being cute with you. I'm trying to provoke you. (laughs) Just don't take a swing at me because that would be a mistake. But I'm trying to provoke you. So what do we do? Oh, you know, that's guy in Washington and the guy in the prisons and it's all evil until we do something good. We have forfeited our right to complain. But if you've given your all and you're spending your all to doing good, starting in your home and everywhere you go to be a representative of Jesus Christ, then at least your own conscience is clear. However, the verdict is in the mind of God who's working out his own plan and it will come out good in the end. And it will come out good right here, right now. Peace, I leave with you. That wasn't future. Everybody's going to have peace here. That's actually easy. Once God says, I'm making all things new, we're all, hey, hey, man. Hey, good to see you guys. Hey, you died a few years ago. Good to see you. Good to see you. Everybody's going to have peace. Everybody's going to be healthy. I think it's better to have peace now where we need it. Right? And health now where we need it. Because when we reach this place, we won't need it. And that's all good. And it's all God. And they're promises of God. We forfeit our right to complain about evil if we, as individuals, fail to do good. So, what do you plan on doing for this year, for the remainder of this day? Do you recall in the Bible it says, be not overcome of evil? Oh, this government is evil. But what the danger is that that disease is now on you. You're just doing the very same things that you said they did was wrong, and now you're doing them. And we're commanded in the plan of God not to do that. Be wiser, be smarter. Convert, well, God does the converting. Share the gospel with people. As people are truly converted, I don't mean to just attend the church service. They're truly converted, they'll do the right thing. If people are doing the right thing, theoretically, we wouldn't even need laws. Because the law from the New Covenant is written in man's heart. Why do we not steal here? Because we fear God. 
Why do we not lie? Because we fear God and so on and so forth. Adultery, why don't we do it? To do so is committing evil as opposed to doing good. Evil exists by default. If Eve, for instance, she never would have acquiesced to the temptation, evil wouldn't have ever taken place. When she acquiesced, there was the absence of good. God said, don't do it. She did it. No good came out of that, as we see now. Keep this in mind as well. Most all of you here, I assume most of you watching by the way of the live stream, listening by way of radio, are not going to go out and purposely do evil. However, that's committing sin, sins of commission. I think it's time for us to look at the sins of omission, what we were supposed to be doing. Let's take a century at his post, or her post, and he's supposed to be at all times armed with his weapon, locked and loaded, but for whatever reason, they just decide, I don't take a break, put that down, I got some time, and you go off somewhere. It's a default. Now all of a sudden, the enemy comes in. This soldier was not at his post. That's a sin of omission. They were supposed to be there, and they weren't. And we don't always see evil, which is sin and evil is the same thing. We don't always see evil as something that we did not do, instead of always being in the extreme of seeing it as what we do that we're not supposed to do. Remember there's things that Jesus told us to do. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. He that has my commandments, and all of you here today have his commandments, but does not do them, does not love me. If I come up to you, which I'm not going to, not today anyway, because you're in a bad mood. But if I come up to you and say, you don't love Jesus, what are you going to say to me? You don't know my heart. How could you say that? I'm going to another church. And you'll go. Most do. Because I challenged them by virtue of what Jesus said, not what I said. You were supposed to do this and you didn't do it. So I'm taking Jesus' words and saying, if you're not doing what Jesus said to do, you don't love him because that's what he said. You see? It's not just not committing adultery. Those things are there and not stealing and not lying and murdering and all that. But then we have what we're supposed to be doing. We don't have to live in a vacuum and say, well, I don't do these. That's the Pharisees. I'm glad I don't do what this man does. He's a sinner. And you've got to be truthful you know, with yourself. You don't have to be truthful with me on this one. You've done it. You've seen people out here in the streets and judged them. They don't have Christ and you've judged them. And I'm not going to say that I haven't done it myself when I'm not in my right mind. I'm not in the presence of mind. I realize this person needs Christ. But think about the day that you were there. Think about the day that you were that person. That somebody else from a church somewhere says, look at him. Glad I'm not like him. And then I sing some hymn. And God says, mm-mm. Most of you know my story. I was the guy that wasn't supposed to succeed. I was the guy that everybody said, this guy's a loser. But I'm not a loser. First of all, Christ touched me on the shoulder and said, follow me. And I said, that's a good deal. So I followed him. Then I found out that it wasn't just what he wanted me not to do. But he says, now i got some work for you to do. And it was, yes, Lord. Okay, let's do it. All my friends are retired. You understand that? All but one that I can think of off the top of my head. They're all retired. They're all playing baseball, playing golf, being efficient. And I'm working. Seven days a week, I'm working. I'm working when my wife doesn't see me. My kids don't see me. No one sees me. I'm always working because I worked out my schedule in a certain way. I'm always working. You don't think that I'm not tempted to say, I don't play baseball, but I'm willing to start. And fishing, I could care less if I catch your fish. I got them right at Price Chopper. And you have over here, you know, uh, whatever, and sit back and I'm going to get a tan today. What are you going to do? Uh, you know, that's the greatest temptation I face. And the devil just comes along in my ear and says, hey, look at so-and-so, so-and-so. You can do that. And I could, but I'm not going to because I've been called to do something. 
to do something. Not what I'm called not to do. I already know that. I'm called to do something. And so are you. You say, what? <laughs> yeah, so are you. In my city, you know, the reputation of the tough guy becomes this Christian. And they laughed at me in the beginning. Now they contact me for prayer. So some of you are raised in this area, and you don't want anybody to know that the tough guy is a Christian. Better start. Better start. For the Apostle Paul said, and so should you, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation, Jew first, Greek also. I'm not ashamed. I mean, I'm truly not ashamed to be identified with the greatest person in history, God come in the flesh. So what are you looking at today? What are you looking at? In life, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? You looking at the president? No, not this one. I looked at the last one. I didn't. Yes, I was aware of what he said, what he did, and yes, I voted for him. I've already made that public on my broadcast. Okay, so, guilty. I didn't look at him for salvation. I didn't look at him for the salvation of our country. I still don't, and I won't. Because our need is God. Our national motto is, in God we trust. This God. The God of the book, the God of the Bible. That's what America needs. We need righteous leaders in these positions from Washington on out to our states. But God won't grant it. It's not that man can do anything. God won't grant it until the people get on their knees and come before God and say this. I am not only going to stop doing the things I shouldn't be doing. I'm going to start to do the things I should be doing. And Lord, I will stop making excuses. Because in the end, again, that's really what it is. Yeah, there's the odd time when we're just really unable to do whatever. But you know what? Even if you're laying on your bed for some reason, you're injured or sick, you can what? Pray. Oh, I'm shut up in the household by myself. Well, A, you're not really alone because Christ said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. Number two, you could become a mighty prayer warrior. Get yourself a list. Hey, our brother back there in the corner there, one of our elders, his prayer list is just a little shy of the Manhattan white pages. And you heard his speed reading. He speed prays. God bless you. But you see, he's used that gift, the gift of prayer here, appropriately and properly. But we're all to be praying. Some are really called to be hours and hours in one place in prayer. But we're all to pray. I keep a mental list. Gifts and talents, you're going to give an account for it. Use them. Again, I propose the question. You want to see your country change? Amen, amen, amen. And you subscribe to 1,500 magazines and all kinds of things. And emails keep coming every day. And that's not going to change anything. What's going to change is when good men, good women start to do good. As Edmund Burke once said, the Irish-born philosopher, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. So we're back at the absence of good is what evil actually is. When people do evil things, it's because they were not doing something good. They were not doing something righteous. And this is the answer. Let me say this again. Look, it's in our nature to get caught up with the things that we see. My answer to the commercial of a dating site that brings two men together is turn the whole thing off. I just turned it off. Turned to something else. I won't give you my personal habits of what I do when I'm going to sleep, but it's not really watching TV. It's just kind of like background for me. I have other things that I do. I just turn it off because I realize I live in an evil world. And to continue doing what I'm supposed to do, even at this late hour of my own personal life. Now, some of you are as old as me, and some of you are a wee bit older. How are you going to finish your life? Moaning and complaining? Huh? Okay. I'll keep an eye on you. How are you going to end your life? What will be the marker on your gravestone? 
he earned a million dollars. For those of you who watched The Oasis, I took out some chess pieces and gave a little illustration. And as you know, you have the king. That's the one you're going after. And then the queen, and she's very powerful. And then you have the bishops, you know, and they move all like this. And then you have your knights, and then you have your rooks. Then you have all your pawns. But when the game's all over, one by one, they all go back in the box. Here's the billionaire. Goes in the box. Could be a big box, could be a golden box, but still a box. And here's the movie star. Back in the box. Here's the guy that worked construction all his life. Back in the box. One after one. And then what? The Bible says after that is the judgment. What judgment? When Jesus looks you in the eye, and he says, what did you do with your life? Well, I had a tough time. Mm-mm. He's going to say, first of all, I had a tough time. Then he's going to name all the people that you know that likewise had a tough time, but did not acquiesce to it. He says, I will not be taken over. I will not give in. I will not quit. I will not give up. So all the excuses will be knocked away, and you'll be standing there looking Jesus eye to eye. And what will you say? You see, we read here, verse 7, if your Bible is still open, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Do you understand, you read Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3, that Jesus expects us to overcome? He actually expects us to win? How did we get to the point when we pray, basically our words is, Oh God, you know, I never win. Everything is against me. How did we think, I mean, God understands our pathos of our prayers, but how did we think that this is making God happy? Wouldn't it be better to come with your sword dripping with blood and your shield dented and your helmet just barely fitting on your swollen brain? And you said, I got the enemy. The big battle, it was a big battle. There was times there, I wasn't sure about it, but I won. I won. Now that's a whole lot better than coming back if you've ever played sports and lost a really important game or, you know, important fight or whatever that you really wanted to win, I remember the very first game of our high school senior year, the biggest game of the year was the first game. And we were trying to prepare for it. And we lost in the last, I think it was 15 seconds. A guy that sat on the bench who had a bad back was the fastest guy on the team, a receiver, and they put him in for one play. We were just about to win the game. Biggest game of the year. Maybe the biggest game I've ever played in my life. They sent him out on a fly pattern, Quarterback went, touchdown, bang, clock went off, and I still feel the pain of that. I don't go around bragging and say, we lost. We're the losers. You know who we are? We're the guys that lost that game back in 1972. You hung your head, you had bad mood. Hey, what if we started to get in a bad mood because we lost a battle today? And you said, not tomorrow, or not tonight, whatever. I'm not going to lose this again. I will not lose this battle again. How about that? How about we change the whole perspective instead of saying, <laughs> I'm a loser. And say, and to realize that this is not really glorifying God. Again, he understands us, the pathos, our depressions, our discouragements. I'm not diminishing that. Look, Joshua was told, everywhere you go, there's going to be holy ground. And uh, I will be with you as I was with Moses, only fear not and be not dismayed. And he says this over and over again in the first chapter of Joshua. And then Joshua, they lose a battle at Ai. And he's down. And the angel you know, appears and says, what are you doing? We lost. He says, get up. Get up. Then he goes through this again. Now God is compassionate. He says, now this is the instruction. But he didn't say to him, oh, poor Joshua. See, this is the Jesus that American preachers have. He's sort of like something from the 60s. He's just going around saying, hey, man, what are you doing? He's kind of chilling. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, me too. It's been rough, right? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. His saying sometimes was so hard that his own disciples walked away from him. He said, whoa, I don't listen to this anymore. He's a hard guy. Even one of his parables, the word austere is used. 
I knew that they were a hard and austere man. That's the Jesus of the Bible who says, what are you doing? I'm just praying we lost. You weren't supposed to lose. You didn't follow instructions. Get up. Of course, Joshua ultimately has success. I mean, as a leader, as a general. And God has designed each and every one of us to do the same. And when you look at yourself, if you compare yourself to others, you say, oh, you know, what am I? I'm so weak. I'm this and that. No, no, no. The Christ in me is the same Christ that's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we need to elevate our thinking to this degree. In the natural, we are all weak. Remember, I'm telling you, I was the guy that was not supposed to succeed. But in my own mind, at least, and I hope in God's, I've succeeded. I've went through so many battles, so many wars and discouragements and every type of thing. I have often told people in the last 40, it's going to be almost 47 years. It will be 47 years come the summer of this year. I've been active in ministry, and I've heard every conceivable problem that you can name related to the human condition, every single one, except a serial killer. And if I did, they didn't alert me to it. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I've been through it all. And thank God, and to the glory of God, as we sang, by grace alone, I'm still standing. I shouldn't be standing, but I am, because Christ is holding me up. Christ is holding you up. It's not what you can do alone. It's what Christ can do in you and for you and with you. Let me simply say this. If again, you're reading from the very, very beginning of the Bible, most do. You've read through Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 by now. And we learn in Genesis 1 that everything God created was what? Good. When he finishes creation on the sixth day, he says, and God saw it and it was all very good. Everything God makes is good. God made you. And it's good until man corrupted himself. Number one, God is good. And everything he creates is good. I have a belief, by the way, when people say man is inherently evil, I don't necessarily agree. I think man is inherently good because God made us. But we learn to do evil or we just, by default, again, we do evil, and then we become bad or evil. And that's not a good thing, obviously. God is good. His kingdom is good. What God is doing in the world is good, and though evil does exist, it is not going to prevail. It will not win. God is going to bring all of this to a good conclusion. And if you think of anything below that, you're going to be dejected, depressed. You're going to be discouraged. If you're looking at your body and you've got the sickness and disease, and who doesn't today? And you're staring at that, you're going to be depressed, dejected, discouraged. If you look at Christ the healer. Lord, if thou wilt, thou can heal me. And he says, I will. I want it. I want you healed. And he heals the sick. That's the Jesus that we need. We don't need a person that says, now God is working. Forget that. Oh, that way of twisting the scriptures. Jesus is who the book says he is. And he's still a healer. He's still a savior. He's still the one that's with us. And he's still building his church. If I'm going to be discouraged as often by what I see and hear going on inside the church. And then I remember... God will build his church, and the gates of hell, evil, shall not prevail against it. Who is the church? Where is the church? We are the church. We are the church. Let me just give you these couple of scriptures, and I'll finish and just talk to you quickly about providence. We are living in the providence of God. And I'll be able to define it for you by giving you its antonyms. But first, let me give you some of the synonyms for providence. All which now apply them to God. Foresight, forethought, farsightedness, judgment, judiciousness, shrewdness, wisdom, sagacity. And I'll just stop there in the interest of time. 
Did you think God knew who was going to be elected this past year? He said, well, who won? No, he knows everything. You were surprised, but God wasn't. And so look at God and see the calmness of God as he rules on the great white throne. We see here Revelation. And he's executing his plan every minute of every day. His plan is being executed. Let's look at it this way. What providence is not is a lack of foresight. God didn't foresee all these problems. The problem that you have at home, God didn't foresee it. If you don't believe in providence, it's just things are happening. Then you're a deist. God wound up the watch and walked away, and he could care less what happens to any of you. That's a lack of foresight. Providence says God saw it. The day you got married, or before that, and he knew who you were going to marry, and on and on, how many hairs you have on your head, all this is in the scriptures. God sees it, because he's God. And we are living in the providence of God. He takes one and he spares another. He says to Moses, I will blot out whom I will blot out. And then he says in so many words, and I will keep who I will keep. It's the providence of God. He sees. He knows the times we're living in. He wrote about them right here in the entire Bible. And now elevate your thinking. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. If Wall Street closed down today, the world will be in chaos. But that does not mean that you have to be. Because here comes a bird. You say, how are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? And there you go. Lasagna. <laughs> in Job chapter 5, read it later. It says you can even laugh at famine. Not that you're going to laugh at people that are starving. But you can laugh at famine because you already know that God is going to supply now, when you don't believe that, you're sitting there biting your nails, worried about how it's all going to turn out. And God said, this is how it's going to turn out if you trust me. Amen. And further, let me finish on this, okay? If Christ doesn't come before any of us here dies, I did three funerals this year, four. Every believer is going to rise again. Amen. You believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Kill me. And in three days I will raise it back up again. And then he says, the Father has put into my hands to raise up all that he has given me. So even if there was a death, and we've had a few of them this year, it's temporary. Yeah, we grieve. That's okay. And we miss people. And that's okay. That's natural. That's fine. But remind yourself, I'll rise again. I'm going to rise again. I just, can I throw this in? No extra cost, I promise you. Now, don't, again, don't get mad at me because some of you have loved ones you've cremated. But I don't believe in cremation. So whenever I go down, if you happen to be there, just you could look at me. But either way, God still has the blueprint. So whether it's a pile of ashes or just a body that's decaying in the ground for who knows how long, God has the blueprint. Boop. Put them back together again. Raised them back up from the dead. That's the truth. Because these words, he says, right, for these words are true. And they are faithful. We have every single reason, I mean 100% reason, to be optimistic, joyful. If we learn to disregard the evil, deal with it appropriately by performing what is good. See, that's not passive. It's like, we don't just say, oh, evil world, I can't wait for the rapture. What are you doing in the meantime? See, some people just sit around saying, I wish the Lord would come today. Yeah, well, who don't? Hey, somebody just said to me recently, you know, maybe I would die before she would. And I said, that would be great. I would be very grateful for that. <laughs> what does that mean? Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. It's a reward. Elevate your thinking. 
get out of the gutter. And it is difficult, by the way, I want to say that to you. I'm not saying this is easy, it's not. When your mind starts to go south, it's difficult to get it to turn around. So whoa, whoa, whoa. It's very difficult, it's a discipline. But you discipline your thinking to go beyond what we have now. And into this world, when God says, behold, I make all things new. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all things new, and it's coming. How soon? I don't know. But it sure seems like it's getting here quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's bow our hearts and bow our heads. Father, we thank you today. And I do pray that your people are encouraged. I also pray, God, that they will take the initiative to change their thoughts and change their thinking. To elevate it above and beyond our present evil world. For it's all working together for good. The details are beyond my pay grade, but I believe you, God. Let your people believe you. It's all working for good. Further, God, help your people to understand it's not just what we do that's wrong, but what we're not doing that is letting evil exist. Help us to be that little light. Help us to be that one that shines and is not ashamed. We don't put it under a bushel and hide the light. Let us be what we were designed to be. Let people think whatever they want to think, but some will come to the light and they will be saved. We trust you. We thank you that you're building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. Now we give you the honor. Before we close this service today, I want to ask you an honest question. I want an honest answer. How many of you could honestly say 2021 wasn't all that great? Or did you have a good time of it? How many of you had a really good time in 2021? So, wow, that was a weird. I hope that we repeat that again. And 2020 wasn't all that great either. You know, locked up in the house and going alone. It felt like I was in an apocalyptic movie. Well, okay, so we all feel that same way. So we want to now start out the new year, and we want to start off right. How about we sing Down in the Valley? Not the one that goes valley so low But how about in the valley we sing, God is great, God is good. In other words, why don't we just stand up today and give him the praise. Give him the praise today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, you're great. You're greatly to be praised. Bless your mighty name. Holy Father, we bless you. Bless you. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave you with this thought about how you can change things, you know, by thinking or whatever. Remember I told you I put on the little thing that was clickbait? This will make you cry. I already knew it was clickbait, but I listened to the piano music. So I did listen to it. It was just slow and melancholy. I always experiment with these things with music. So I put on something really upbeat and really audacious right behind it. And my whole mood changed. So be careful of what you're hearing when the newscaster comes on and says, it's not good today. Nothing good. More COVID cases. And it's going to snow a lot. And you're going to have a bad back. Let's go to, you know, there's some goof there. He's standing in the rain. All right, that's to get you to watch. So here's some good book to read. Behold, I make all things new. Make all things new. Cause us, God, if we forget everything, to remember to love you with all of the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love one another, because we all need that love. We give you the praise at the beginning of this year. We're trusting that this year we'll be filled with blessings and acts of providence and whatever else you have in store for us. Cause us to believe that. And touch all of my friends. Touch all of my brothers and sisters today, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Can we say amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.